Our scripture reading today comes from Genesis 5, verses 1 through 32. Hear God's word for you today. This is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them, and named them man when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. The days of Adam after he fathered Seth were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. When Seth had lived 105 years, he fathered Enosh. Seth lived after he fathered Enosh 807 years, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. When Enosh had lived 90 years, he fathered Kenan. Enosh lived after he fathered Kenan 815 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. When Kenan had lived 70 years, he fathered Mahalalel. Kenan lived after he fathered Mahalalel 840 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Kenan were 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel had lived 65 years, he fathered Jared. Mahalalel lived after he fathered Jared 830 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and, uh, and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. When Methuselah had lived 187 years, he fathered Lamech. Methuselah lived after he fathered Lamech 782 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Methuselah were not 969 years, and he died. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered his son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Lamech lived after he fathered Noah 595 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. After Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So there, my, my parents were in town this past week for a few days, and I learned that there's a controversy in my family that has been settled. Uh, and the controversy uh, was uh, there was debate in my family about whether or not my, my grandmother, my mom's, uh, my, my father's mother, um, who she just passed away this past year, but there was debate about whether or not she, was, she had some like Jewish descent in her. Uh, she, her maiden name was Rosenbaum, uh, and there was debate about my family of like there's, there's a Rosenbaum and there's a Rosenbaum, and an LM or a UM. One of those is uh, German, allegedly, and the other one is Jewish, and it's, it's of Jewish descent, and um, there are members of my family who also noted that she had an uncle whose name was Festus Nicodemus, uh, which is about as Jewish of a name as you could come up with if you were just like opening up a dictionary. And um, and certain members of my family alleged that my grandmother looked Jewish with her dark hair. Um, and uh, in this controversy, I found out this past week has been settled uh, that my, a family member of mine used a 23andMe. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this, uh, where you, you basically just take some, you send it, it's, it's very odd. You send like your spit in, in a test tube into like this central location and they test your DNA and they can from your DNA tell like the percentages of uh, like your your origin, your your lines of descent, your 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 
at the ethnicity behind you. And we, and we learned that, my, that that was the controversy. I settled my mo- grandmother was not Jewish, which is what she said all along. So we all should have just listened to her. Um, and, and we're just Northern European, plain old vanilla, white, white, white. And uh, which I wasn't terribly surprised by myself. Um, and uh, I don't know if, yeah, you guys have heard this 23andMe. My wife took 23andMe as well. Uh, she, my, my wife's, uh, she's uh, adopted. And uh, my wife, I would describe her as racially ambiguous. Uh, so, she, it, so she took it to, to learn more about where she came from. And uh, she's been, people have been like, are you Greek? Are you Singaporean? Are you Hispanic? She's gotten all these guesses in her time. Um, and where, what was the result? You'd have to ask her. Um, I'll, I'll leave that uh, spoiler free. <laughs> um, things like 23andMe, uh, we're... Uh, we're all, like, it just shows that we're interested in genealogies. We're interested in where we come from. In our own, like, 23andMe spitting in a test tube. Uh, in our own, like, uniquely weird modern way, we're interested in where we come from. We're interested, it's, it's a question that kids are interested in very early on, about their parents, about their grandparents, where they come from. And we see this genealogy here in the Bible. And genealogy is, there are many genealogies across scripture. They're different. You can observe various things from their differences. Um, and reading through this passage, you guys were surprised this morning because you're like, is he going to read through all this? Oh, yeah, he's actually going to read through all of this. And then I read through all of this, all of these years, all of these names, the Mahalalels and the Kenans and the Jareds. It doesn't seem very interesting to us. It just seems like plain facts. But I, I'm going to draw our attention to you today. I would say there are things in the, the slight details that you can see, like this is a very linear ge- uh, um, genealogy, one thing, then another, then another. Like the genealogy we looked at last week elaborated more. This one's a bit more linear. And so the areas where there's some, some flourish, some changes, uh, there's a lot to be observed. And I think that there are things here that can, that can encourage us. And what we'll see is that God is blessing, sustaining, he's guiding, he's giving life to humans, to men and women made in his image, even after the horror that we've seen in the previous chapters. And therefore, we should expect God to bring his life into lives and families and institutions that are as messed up as ours. So the points, my points today, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend some time just remembering where we've been, context, put it, like putting it in context where this, this genealogy is. And then I'm gonna talk about God's image and God's walk as we look at this genealogy. So where have we been? Uh, this, is, uh, this is actually going to be our final sermon in Genesis for the time being. We've been in Genesis for a few months now, and uh, we've really gone slowly through these incredibly foundational chapters in, in Scripture. Genesis 1, 2, and 2, and 3 especially are just so foundational. Um, this is, this, this is a, a genealogy seems like a pretty unexciting note to end on, but there's, there, there's some notes of hope here um, that I'll, I'll be sure to draw out um, at the very end of this passage. Um, but one thing that we've seen um, in the, the past few chapters is that things have just been getting worse and worse. Things started, uh, God created the world good, um, commissioned man and woman in, in his image to, to be fruitful, multiply, to tend the garden, to they were, can walk with God. Um, but they turned away from him and instead decided to do what was right in their own eyes and, and uh, seize the fruit which was forbidden. And they defied his command. And the, our first parents, they went from um, being in a position of power and responsibility to being ashamed and blame shifting. And it gets worse, like, a, like a, the rippling of waters. And if you drop a, a rock in a lake, 
the, the next generation after them, one of their sons murders the other son, and his blood is spilled on the ground. And then seven generations after that son, we have Lamech, Lamech from, from Genesis 4, who I preached on last week, uh, who murders a young man and brags about it, who's a polygamist, who sings this, uh, a tyrannical song of defiance against uh, his wives and against God. It's just going from bad to worse to worse. Humans were supposed to walk with God, but now they're estranged from him. They've been cast out of Eden. They were supposed to be eating from the tree of life, which was to give them immortality and, and give them a, a taste of God's life every day. But they, they, that way has been blocked off. So now they're going to die. And that's a common, the common phrase in this, this passage, isn't it? They died, they died, they died, they died. Man has put himself, um, men, they've put themselves in the place of God. Every single one of the generations before that we've seen, as we've seen it with, with Adam and Eve, with Cain, with Lamech, they put themselves in the place of God, and hell breaks out on earth. That is the context here. This is in, the, in Genesis 6, uh, the, we had the, the chapter ahead, we get this line about the description of how the world is. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was evil continually. That's a description of the world um, in, around this passage. Um, have you ever like looked at someone's life, or maybe another family's life, I don't know, someone on your block, whatever it may be. Have you ever looked at someone's life who's... Um, and thought, like, they've made decisions, they're doing things in such a way that there's no coming back from that. There's no return to stability or health or fullness. They're, it's done. Um, maybe you look at your own life that way at times. After a decision you've made, a mistake you've made that you really regret, maybe you look at your own family of origin that way. What good could ever possibly come from this place, from this group of people, the things that they've done, that we've done, the things that have happened to us? That's what this world looks like around this genealogy. What, could, what good could possibly come out of this? Um, I, um, in prepping for this sermon, I, I uh, relied a lot on a, a, a sermon from Jim Anger. Uh, who's a, he's the pastor of Liberty Collingswood in New Jersey, uh, the only Liberty Church in New Jersey. He's actually going to be preaching with us uh, next week, uh, preaching here next week on uh, the Great Commission at the end of Matthew. Uh, but he, he shares this story from Liberty Collingswood, kind of fleshing out like the, that helps flesh this out a bit for me and turn towards how we can see God's mercy. Um, he, he tells the story of there's there a man who came to their church who um, in his past he had Committed, he committed crimes, um, and you know, some he'd uh, served time for um, in, in prison. Some he'd had there been more leniency, and I think he'd had parole. Um, and by, by the time he came to Liberty Collingswood, to that church, um, God had really turned his life around, and he plugged in, became part of that church, lived uh, you know in his freedom, lived lived for God, lived in community with the people of that church. Um, but during his time at the church, he. Uh, he found out that a new DA, a new district attorney, had been elected um, in the place where he had um, lived in his past life. Um, and that DA, he received notice from that DA uh, that he was going to be prosecuted um, for other things that he had done. And, uh, and uh, this, so he was you know, brought up on, 
on charges for things that, that had happened in the past, even though, even, even though he'd served time, was living in joy and freedom. Um, so Jim Anger, the, the pastor, he wrote a letter to the judge who was overseeing this man's case. And he said, he wrote, you know, he said, you know, this, this man's become one of us. Um, he's um, been a, a joy to have among us. Um, he's lived um, with responsibility and his freedom. Um, but Jim also noted he was, he, in the letter he said, listen, the crime that he's being tried for here, he'll say it, we'll say it. Like, he's committed it. It's done. He, he did it. And I'm writing to you not to try and like slam my fist against the table and demand what he does, this man deserves, but just to have a plea for your mercy. Like he does, he deserves um, to he deserves uh, consequences and to be sentenced. Um, but we just ask you for your mercy. We know you have a decision to make, and we just ask you for your mercy. And uh, and the judge later actually, I think, corresponded with Jim about it and said that that letter was really influential. Um, in, in the way that the, the case went. And the judge was merciful and lenient. Um, this is the kind of mercy that we see from God in this genealogy. Um, it's, this is a world, this is a, a line, a generations of people that deserve, um, that, that don't deserve joy and freedom, but are reliant upon God's mercy. And we see his mercy in a few ways in this this passage. Um, so the first I'll draw your attention to is, is God's image. Uh, God's image is not erased after the fall, after our first father and mother fell into sin. Look with me again um, at verses, um, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Um, I closed my bulletin, so I don't have it handy. Verses 1, 2, I'm looking at the wrong place. Verses 1 through 3, it's down here. Sorry, everybody. Verses 1 through 3. This is the book of the generation of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Male and female, he created them, and he blessed them and named them man when they were created. So this is just calling back to Genesis 1, verses 27 and 28, which outlines that man and woman were made in God's image, which is like the pinnacle the, the, of Genesis 1, like the pinnacle, the top point of the creation account is the creation of man and woman in God's image. There, and then verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered a son in his own likeness, after his image, and named him Seth. There's a bit of a parallel there. After his own likeness, in his own image. So follow the, 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 uh, the proof with me here. Uh, Adam was made in God's image, in the likeness of God. And then Adam and Eve, um, they begat, they bore children who were in their likeness. The image of God was in them, and the image of God continues um, Adam and Eve, the, they fulfill the first commandment of God, uh, which the first commandment of God is to be fruitful and multiply. Um, they, in, in spite, and so they have children in spite of much pain and, and sorrow, by the way. Um, they have three sons. They have three sons that, that we really hear extended stories about here in Scripture. Um, the first son murders the second son. Um, and they have a, a third son named Seth, who, whose name means God granted, as if to say, we've been through so much pain and sorrow um, because of what we've done, but God's given us more. Um, they, they follow God's command, um, and even though their obedience here um, is laced with death, uh, the image of God continues. These future generations are still human beings, still men and women, who are made in the image of God. Uh, humans, after the fall, we haven't become orcs. I don't know if you know it. Orcs are from Lord of the Rings. They're these like incredibly hideous 
awful degenerated creatures. Um, humans haven't become goblins or orcs or trolls. Um, after the fall, we're still made in God's image. The grace, of God, the grace of God's image is still in our nature. And we can see it in each of us. The pursuits of our souls, the strength of our devotions, the reasoning of our minds, even the activities of our bodies. In all these things, we're still in God's image. Um, even though each of these faculties have been blemished, almost, you know, imagining a, a painting that's been defaced. Uh, they've been blemished, it's been, they've been corrupted, they've been misdirected. Um, they're subject to powers and principalities that aren't God, that are opposed to God, um, to demons. But we're still made in his image. Um, and this means that Every, and the, the fact that this has continued on, this image has continued on, even in the midst of such a crooked, awful generation as this, it means that every person you have ever met or ever heard of is made in the image of God. I, uh, I read an author sometime, his name is Andy Crouch, and uh, in a recent book of his, he describes this, um, where he had, a, he had a layover in Chicago O'Hare, which is a big airport, and uh, he, he had like a three-hour layover. His flight had been delayed or something. And he wanted to get in some exercise and uh, just do some walking around the airport. And he, he wanted to walk around the airport. Also, like, he, he wanted to go around the airport. And, and uh, he had this, this idea in mind to just every person he walked by, he would like point at not, He wouldn't point at them, but he would look at them. And he would think to himself or say quietly to himself, image of God, 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 image of God. And there's something powerful, I think, about doing that in an airport specifically, because an airport is like, it's a place where we're just trying to flee from the reality, the wretched reality of the present. Like, the airport is like, it's like a super dehumanizing place in so many ways. Like, people go to, they go to, to drink too much, or they go to just bury themselves in their screens, or in a book, or uh, whatever, or you see, like, like, families with kids who just look like they're having the worst days of their life. Like, it's, it's, it's a, and it's a place where everyone, no one looks at anyone else, except for if you're pe people watching and like objectifying people for entertainment. And um, so it's a dehumanizing place. And he walked from one end of Chicago hair to the other and just image of God, image of God, image of God, image of God, image of God. Um, and by the end, he said he was like in tears. Um, and it's, it's just like incredibly moving to think that every single person we know Every person sitting in this room, every child downstairs or in, the other, in, in our, our children's chapel is made in God's image. This is the basis for our understanding of human dignity. Um, human, you know, the, our, well, the Western, our, this idea of human rights is, comes from this idea. Um, human dignity, also human duties, by the way. Um, that because our neighbors are made in God's image, like we actually, there are ways that we, it's, it's right for us to love them to love our neighbor. Um, we're each made in the image of God. And one thing we see here as like there are more and more image bearers of God, uh, God's blessing. This is, this is a, a genealogy, a story about families, a series of families. And God's blessing comes to the world in the context of families, the, the, the fulfillment of this command to be fruitful and multiply. Um, and like, there's a, I think there's, there, there's just like kind of a plain application from this text, uh, which is uh, to have kids. <laughs> have kids. Um, kids are, yeah, the, 
But yeah, more people are a good thing, is, is a good thing. This is God's first command. Like, I don't need to blush in giving this command. Uh, Glenn McDowell, who's one of our pastors here, whenever he does a, a wedding, he always prays that the couple getting married would have kids. And uh, usually, I think he, he gets looks from people like, ooh. Um, but it's appropriate. Uh, God's blessing comes into the world, the context of, of families. It's good to get married and have children. If we're already married, it's good to have children. Um, the most common a verb that we see in this passage is fathered. And uh, spoiler alert, whenever there's a father, there's also a mother uh, who's doing a lot too. Uh, children, we see over and over again in scripture, children are a blessing from God. And also God blesses the world through children, um, through there being more image bearers. Um, now, what you, you, so, you know, some of you are hearing this and you're, and, and you're, you're maybe like uh, gritting your teeth a little bit or, or, think, or, or thinking, we all come from different places. For, for many of us, I know, like, just saying that, the command to be fruitful and multiply, it's complicated. I know it's complicated for many of us. Um, widows, widowers, um, where some of us are, are, are single temporarily or permanently we're going to be single um, because of how God's calling us. There's infertility. Um, uh, for those of us in this room who are, who are like that, I, I, I don't think that, there's, that, this, that this command is necessarily erased. Um, I each of us are, are still in biological families. There's, um, there, I don't, there are very few of us whose entire like, biological families have passed away. Um, are we being loving sisters, brothers, sons, granddaughters, uncles, aunts? There's still, I think, a call in this, an, an assumption in this to love our biological families. But more than that, God blesses, God blesses the world through families, but God blesses the world particularly through his new family, that he's created, that he's knit together, which is the church. And those of you who hear the command to be fruitful and multiply and say, like, that's not, God hasn't stacked the deck for that to be for me. Like this, I feel like there are ways that you uniquely can build up the, God's family, the church, in ways that those who have biological kids can't. Um, I build up the church. Being fruitful and multiplying is like praying for people that you see in this room. You know? Praying for people who who live on your block, um, or live in this neighborhood, who you know who their lives would be blessed if they'd be here, praying for them. Serving, giving, investing in someone in the church who's younger than you. You know, what, what would it look like if you invited someone who's younger than you by 10 years or more, a college student or something, or someone who's younger, like if you invited, like if you spent time with them, if you invited them to, to get coffee, if you took an interest in them. Or what would happen Think about what could happen if you just like spiritually adopted three kids in this church. I'm, a kid, I'm the kids ministry guy, so this one's near and dear to me. What would happen if you prayed for those kids, for those three kids every single day, and every time you saw them, you greeted them by name, you got down to their level, and you asked, you, you, you asked them how they're doing? If you do that, I think you would absolutely in, be fathering and mothering in God's new family. There are unique opportunities here to, to fulfill this command, even for those of us where bi biological family is complicated and tragic. Um, another sign that we see in this passage of God's image and God's blessing is the long years that God gives to the, 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 the names in this passage. And that's probably the first thing you noticed um, when we're reading through this passage. is like, hey, those guys lived a really long time, and that sounds really outlandish. Uh, an interesting thing is that many, many cultures, ancient cultures, believed that uh, there was a flood, 
ancient cultures meaning not just the one from the source of our scriptures, but other cultures outside um, of, of ancient Israel, ancient Judah. They believed that there was a flood, which is what happens in chapters 6 and following ahead in Genesis. Um, many cultures believe that there was a flood, um, and they also believe that there was a time before the flood where people lived for a really long time. Um, so if you ever look, like there's a, this thing called the Sumerian king list. Um, the land of Sumer was what, what we call Mesopotamia. It was one of the great first civilizations. And they had this king list from before the flood, according to their accounting, where kings would rule for like tens of thousands of years. Um, there's some of this understanding across the ancient world um, that these pre-flood peoples lived for a long time. And it's worth saying that like the people who would have been reading this in the ancient world, um, the, the original audience for, for this, like they would have had the same reaction as us. They would have been like, whoa, that dude, lived, Jared lived 962 years. That's a really long time. People don't normally live that long. Uh, they, they wouldn't necessarily just be like, oh yeah, I know a guy who lived that long. People always live that long. Uh, they would, they, even just a few verses ahead, we see that God has begins restricting man's years to 120 years, which sounds closer to what we know. Um, so what, what are we to do with this? Like beyond, like beyond reading this text, us receiving your faith, like I can't prove to you that there was a guy whose name was Methuselah who lived for 969 years. Like I can't, I can't produce uh, an autopsy. I can't, I can't like test tube this. I can't reproduce an experiment in a laboratory according to like our, our modern understandings of proof. I can't do that for you. Um, I received this text like, myself by, um, by faith. I'm not fully understanding it. Um, I tend to want to take it at its word. Um, and I, I guess what I would just do is I would draw your attention not necessarily towards the, the quantitative thing here, like about the, the span of life, uh, but towards the significance of the life that the many, many years are being bestowed to these, to these men, to these families, to these generations. In the next chapter over, we see like God is seeing how wicked everyone is and they shortens man's years to 120 years, which implies that these men are, are all living for a long time because of God's kindness towards them. He gives long, rich life um, to people who really ought to, like their generations around, they ought to be sentenced that, you know, they ought to be sentenced to death. That was the consequence. Um, it's a sign of his, his mercy and his kindness. Um, God's image continues, and it's a way that he continues to bless the world. The second thing is a way that we can see God's um, grace in these, this genealogy is God's walk. God's walk. Uh, in the seventh generation, we read about, uh, the, in verses 21 um, and following, we read about Enoch. And look with me at verses 21. Uh, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. After he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. And that's not just like, a, like to say that he, like, oh, Enoch went on a hike, and then we never saw him again. Uh, it's, it's saying that God, he was, he was, such, he was such a man who, who's, who had such faith, who was so pleasing to God, um, that God took him to be with him. Um, Enoch's destiny was the best possible destiny for anyone, uh, which is that he got to be taken to be with God, the source of life and joy and peace and love and all these things. And he lived 365 years, uh, which is, uh, you know, the ancients would have known, like, that's oh, that's 12 lunar cycles, and that, like, it's, it's a full year. They would know, like, the full year, it's like a, he lived a full life. There's the significance of the number 365. Um, it's, he's the seventh generation. Remember our last chapter, the seventh generation after Cain was Lamech, um, the polygamist, the, mur the, the murderer, the tyrant. 
the seventh generation here after the, in the line of Seth is Enoch. Um, he walked with God. Um, the life that Adam and Eve had in the garden of walking with God, it's not gone forever. It's not gone forever. We can see that in this, this, in this person. Or better put, so man can still walk with God, but to put it even better, God and his grace still walks with men, still walks with women, and calls them to himself by his grace. So I really want you guys to let this sink in, just how, how amazing this is. Enoch lived in a corrupt generation, in a corrupt time, in a world that was so rotten that God was going to bring a flood to wipe out all the life on earth. That's going to happen in the next chapter. It's a world filled with God-defiers and murderers, polygamists and tyrants. And yet God raises up one in the midst of the most evil of ages to be one of the holiest people who ever lived. Only a very small handful of people in the Bible get to be taken up to be with God before a natural death or whatever it may be. This is really, really good news for me, for you, for our families, for our institutions. Each of us, like, we're, we're angry, we're embittered, we're backsliding, we're apathetic. Sometimes we're downright sinister. Um, on our own, we're becoming the worst version of ourselves. And the same goes for our families and our institutions. That was like, you know, our world resembles the Genesis 5 world, the Genesis 6 world in so many ways. And yet God can take any of us, as he took Enoch, any of our families, any of our institutions, any of us as individual persons, and breathe new life. The person that you, in your own family, that you consider to be the most like the devil, has the capacity, by God's grace, to be the greatest saint that you've ever met. That applies to you too, by the way. That applies to you. There's nothing that you've done, there's nothing that's been done to you that makes you out of reach for God's goodness and his life and his love. There's nothing, no, no thoughts you've had in your head before you walked in these doors this week. Um, there's no way that you've been been ensnared and done things in the, exactly the wrong way that you know you're, you weren't supposed to. Um, that has made you too far away from God's reach. Remember our, that confession text, that the sheep who's gone astray and how, an, how, how heavens rejoice when, he's, when that sheep is brought back. You are not a sheep that can ever be out of reach from God's love and God's grace. Ever. Turn to him today. Turn to him today. God's grace may him turning, like an Enoch, like him turning turning you, turning someone in your family, turning a whole institution back towards him. His grace could be manifested in us turning away from our sin, us turning away from the things that we know we're not supposed to be doing. Like, listen, guys, God's brought you here for something. Um, maybe it's your heart burned within you in any way. Is there anything that God's turning you to call, to turn, calling you to turn away from? Today could be the day to do that. Um, to hell with your cynicism, with your hopelessness, with your despair about yourself, about your family, about the institutions that you're in. 
And I mean that quite literally. That's where those things come from. To hell with them. If God can raise up an Enoch in a world as corrupt as the one we see here, then he can work through our repentance, through your repentance, to bring new life to you, to your family, to your community. Um, let's walk with God. That's, the, that's what we should do. Let's walk with God. Um, let's walk with God for our sake, for the sake of our children, spiritual or, and biological, um, for the sake of the generations after us, for the sake of our neighbors. Let's walk with God. Uh, this passage ends uh, with a final note of hope. Um, look with me at verse uh, 32. We see that after Noah was 500 years old, Noah fathered Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, Noah has three sons. The text really draws our attention to that. Who previously had three notable sons? Adam. He had Cain, who murdered his second son, Abel, and his third son was Seth. He had three, son, three sons. Adam and Eve had three, three sons. Um, there's a way in which Noah is the, this passage ends with the new Adam, the new first man, whose story we're not going to, get a, we're not going to be able to get into right now, um, but we can get into more later when we come back to Genesis, Lord willing. Um, Ad, like the, Adam was the man who saw creation. Noah is going to be the man who sees the, God recreate the world through the flood. Um, it's this final note of hope in the midst of like a, an incredibly broken world. Um, and this line continues through Noah, through Shem, and these uh, this, all the names, the, you know, the Lamex, the Mahalalels, uh, Kenan, Jared, uh, Methuselah, these names, by the way, they all come up again in one more place in the Bible. Where? In Luke chapter 3, in the Gospels, where, the, where Luke uh, goes to great pains to show um, that Jesus, the Son of God, uh, was descended through this very line, through these, this, these, these very men, these very women. Um, and out of this line come several who would begin the world again, Noah and Abraham being examples, but also the one, Jesus, who will truly, fully, ultimately, completely bring new creation to the world. Um, Jesus comes from a line of sinners to save lines of sinners like ours. Jesus, like Noah, leads the world into a new creation. Um, and Jesus is... is uh, He's completely capable of changing us, changing our families. I mean, he, this, is what, this is what God does here, as I've been talking about with Enoch. Um, and like God really can make the world a better place, make our fit, like bring his life, his joy, his peace to our families. How? Through us turning incessantly every day to God's grace, looking to Jesus for our salvation and the salvation of our family. Um, so to close, I would, I would invite you all to, Pray like one of my favorite prayers that I, I pray a lot is uh, I pray that my sons would have ten times the faith that I have. Um, pray that with me for your for your children, spiritual or biological. Let's pray that that, that God makes the world a better place as his um, as his image remains, and as um, by his grace, uh, men, women, children walk with him. Um, if God can raise up an Enoch in a corrupt world if he can send his own son from generations of sinners, then we can really believe that he will use people as foolish and weak and as sinful as us to do his good in the world. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.